I chair staff is ready when you are. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Brandy Tuzan Boyd, and I'd like to welcome to you, um, welcome you to the Sacramento Disabilities Advisory Commission meeting. Um, the meeting is now called to order. Will the clerk please call the roll to establish a quorum? Yes, thank you, Chair. Commissioners, please unmute and turn on your video. Commissioner Kennedy? Here. Thank you. Commissioner Crowley is absent. Commissioner Fink is absent. Commissioner Hernandez-Santana? Hello, I'm here. Sorry about the noise. Present. Thank you. Commissioner Neal. Commissioner Neal. Here. Thank you. Commissioner Williams. Present. Thank you. Vice Chair McMillan. Present. Thank you. Chair Tuzon Boyd. Here. Thank you. We have a quorum. Uh, this meeting is um, being held virtually via Zoom. For members of the public who wish to join, please refer to the agenda for the Zoom link. Once you have joined the meeting and wish to speak, uh, raise your hand to provide public comment when the chair confirms the public comment speaking period for your desired item. If you're online, please click on the quote, raise your hand button at the bottom of your screen. On a mobile app, you can raise your hand by tapping the raise hand option in the more tab. On telephone, you can raise your hand by dialing star nine. Um, to unmute, you then dial star six when prompted and speakers will be called on by the last four digits of their phone number. You will have two minutes to speak once you are called on and we will now proceed with today's agenda. Starting with the land acknowledgement. Please rise for the opening acknowledgements in honor of Sacramento's indigenous people and tribal lands. To the original people of this land, the Nisinan people, the Southern Maidu, Valley Plains, Miwok, Putwin, Wintun peoples, and the people of the Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federally recognized tribe. May we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather today, together today in the active practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's history, contributions, and lives. Thank you. Vice Chair McMillan, will you please lead us in the pledge? Well, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Our first business uh, item of business today is approval of the consent calendar. Uh, Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on the consent calendar? Thank you, Chair. I have no hands raised for the consent calendar. Thank you. Okay. At this time, I'd like to separate the uh, two items on the consent calendar, one being the um, 
follow-up log and the other being the meeting minutes. So we'll take the first item, approval of the um, meeting minutes for September uh, 7th. Um, I will entertain a motion from the floor. So moved, Vice Chair McMullen. Williams, second. So I have a motion from Vice Chair uh, McMillan and a second by Commissioner Williams. Um, Clerk, will you please take the roll vote? Thank you. Commissioner Kennedy? Aye. Thank Aye. you. Thank you. Commissioner Crowley is absent. Commissioner Fink is also absent. Commissioner Hernandez Santana? Uh, I abstained because I wasn't present, but let me know if you need my vote. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Neal? Aye. Commissioner Williams? Aye. Vice Chair McMillan? Aye. And Chair Tuzan Boyd? I abstain from the vote. One minute. Thank you, motion passes. Thank you. I will entertain a motion. Could I weigh in here just for a second? Sure. Just for uh, uh, Commissioner Santana, <clears throat> if you, and for everybody actually, if you miss a meeting, you can go back and watch the meeting. And if you're then on that basis, you can still approve or not approve the minutes. The fact that you missed a meeting, you can still go back and watch it and still vote on it. Yeah, uh, correct. This is Commissioner Santana. Right. Um, thank you for that reminder. Uh, since I didn't get a chance to view the last meeting, you know, sure. I, I wanted to abstain, but duly right. noted. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you, um, Council. Um, so entertaining a motion to uh, adopt the DAC's commission uh, follow-up log. So moved, McMillan. Second. Thank you, a motion by uh, Vice Chair McMillan and Commissioner Williams to approve the uh, Disability Advisory Commission follow-up log. Uh, Clark, will you please take the roll? Yes, thank you. Commissioner Kennedy? Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Crowley is absent. Commissioner Fink is also absent. Commissioner Hernandez-Santana? Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Neal? Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Williams? Aye. Thank you. Vice Chair McMillan? Aye. Thank you. Chair Tuzon Boyd? Aye. Thank you, motion passes. Now we will proceed to our discussion calendar. Item number three on the agenda is an update on chapter 2.40 of the Sacramento City Code relating to boards and commissions. This is an oral report. Is there a staff presentation? Yes, good evening. I'm Mindy Cuppy, your city clerk. Um, thank you, Commission, for allowing me to present this evening. 
So for background, last June, the mayor asked that the Personnel and Public Employees Committee, PNPE, establish oversight, facilitation, and staffing responsibilities for city commissions. So over the past few months, we've put some structural updates in place and continue to move forward with, with steps to uplift commissions' voices. The first is the foundational municipal code that governs boards and commissions in general. And it's important you understand the underlying code that governs your advisory body. So we'll take it, you through that at a very high level to brief you on the code. So on August 30th, 2022, the City Council approved an update to the City Code Chapter 2.40 Boards and Commissions Generally, which is the foundational law governing city boards, commissions, and committees who are appointed by the Mayor or the City Council. It is in the intent of the City Council in enacting this chapter to assure that appointees for seats on boards and commissions possess those high ethical standards required for them to properly fulfill their functions, to disclose any conflicts of interest that would render applicants and appointees ineffective in the performance of their duties or would jeopardize the interests of the city to protect applicants and appointees against untrue allegations with respect to their background integrity and to establish a uniform administrative framework for all city boards and commissions. So as you know, commissioners are appointed from within the community and expected to represent the city as a whole while promoting community and stakeholder input and taking into account all viewpoints. Serving as a commissioner provides a way for residents who have special experience or interest to participate in the city's decision-making process by advising city staff and the city council on numerous issues. The specific role of most commissions is to review and make recommendations to the city council on matters within its scope of authority and responsibility. And this is most commonly achieved by the commission at publicly noticed meetings, serving as a venue for public input and participation. So as we continue to uplift commissions to the same expectations, standards, and processes as the City Council, I'm really excited to be creating what I believe will be a model commissions program that other cities will want to emulate. We will be a model of transparency and inclusiveness. Our commissions will be inclusive with a diversity of voices, be transparent, all activities will be open to the public, will encourage public participation, will follow consistent standards such as the Sacramento Sunshine Ordinance and Brown Act, will have clear legislative history of the important work they do, and will have a clear and consistent process for commissions to communicate with and advise the council. So I'm gonna step through the provisions of this code. Of course, there's no replacement for reading the entire code, which is part of your staff report. Um, so I will get started. So um, you've all been through this process, so it doesn't change much, but it does state that every applicant needs to um, submit an application. So persons that are recommended by, for appointment by the PNPE committee or the mayor and council member. Um, so um, typically commissions, you were either appointed by um, a council member, the mayor, or PNPE. And then of course those um, appointments are confirmed by the entire city council. And then vacancies will follow that same practice um, as the initial appointment. So failure to attend meetings. I always think it's silly that we have to say this, but we need you to attend meetings. Without a quorum, a meeting cannot be held. And so failure to attend a meeting without a minimum of four hours um, notice to the city clerk is an unexcused absence. And three consecutive unexcused absence from regular meetings shall be deemed good cause for removal of such a member. So terms, um, terms are now consistent for a period of four years. There are a few exceptions. For instance, the Sacramento Youth Commission have two-year terms. And then, um, let's see, members of the Ann Land and Bertha Henschel Memorial Fund, um, the charter says they have six years. So again, there's a few um, exceptions, but most terms are now four years. And then there's a limited, limitation on number of consecutive terms. So that's two terms. So removal of members, um, this, the code outlines clearly reasons for removal. 
So taking and subscribing to the oath is, is, um, is a must have, have done. Um, if a conflict of interest code, if you are covered by our entre conflict of interest code, you do need to file a statement of economic interest. And then of course, commissioners um, complete ethics training. And then failure to complete um, any of these is deemed good cause for removal from office. Okay, so meetings generally, um, nothing has changed here. Each me meeting um, shall be noticed. Um, each meeting shall be conducted in accordance with the council rules of procedure. And if a quorum is not established within 15 minutes of the meeting's notice start time, the meeting will be canceled. And of course, um, as needed for to conduct business, we can um, conduct special meetings if needed. So, Can we pause for a minute while sure. we get IT to change the view of your presentation because it's very, very tiny on our screens. Is that better? Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. So ad hoc committees and some committees. Um, so city boards and commissions may not establish ad hoc committees. However, they can establish subcommittees on a, upon approval of the city council. Um, and we'll be rolling out a process in January. So if, if, if it's recommended for the commission to conduct business and the subcommittees required. So we are in the process of updating the council rules of procedure, um, which will outline this process. The City Council has stated that existing ad hocs may continue to meet until the end of this year to wrap up any projects they're working on. So chairperson, so each chairperson um, shall elect one of its members to serve as chair and uh, another as vice chair for each calendar year. We typically do that in January for the, for the upcoming year. And no um, person may serve for two, more than two um, terms. And then um, it does talk about staffing in this ordinance. So it states clearly that the city clerk shall act as your secretary and the city attorney shall act as legal secretary. And then there's a requirement that every five years I report back to the full council on status of boards and commissions. So in summary, I think we've done a lot of work to uplift commission voices. However, I believe there's still much to do. Over the past year, we've ensured that all commissions follow the same high standards as the city council for agendas, meeting facilitation, legislative history. They mirror city council standards and processes. We've created a recruitment video, a commissioner handbook, commissioner orientation and an onboarding process, and a meeting facilitation guide for chairpersons. Um, however, as I mentioned, there's still much to do in order to continue to uplift commission voices and ensure inclusivity. We'll bring an update of the council rules of procedure to the city council in the next, in the next few months. Um, among the, the city council rules of procedure will address, among other things, a standard and consistent process for commissions to report to council, including accomplishments, recommendations, and upcoming year objectives. Um, we're working to develop ongoing training for commissions and department staff. Next up is Brown Act training for all commissions. And we're gonna expand our recruitment for all commissions with a focus on diversity and inclusion. So um, in summary, I'd like to show a brief video highlighting our commission's program, and then I will be available for questions regarding this code. Serving as a council appointee to a City of Sacramento commission is both an awesome opportunity and a significant commitment. The following information will give new appointees and potential applicants an overview of the position's roles and responsibilities. The City of Sacramento utilizes more than 25 commissions to promote community and stakeholder input. Most serve in an advisory capacity to the City Council. 
However, a few are quasi-judicial, complaint reviews, or appeals boards. Serving as a council appointee provides a way for residents who have special experience or interests to participate in the city's decision-making process by advising city staff and the city council on a wide variety of issues. As an appointee, you interact creatively as a link between the city council and citizens of all ages, interests, and backgrounds. You represent the city as a whole and will help facilitate active and inclusive input, ensuring that all voices are incorporated into any recommendation made to the city council. To effectively participate, appointees often have lengthy reports to review in order to prepare effectively for public meetings. Attendance at meetings is essential. The Ralph M. Brown Act, California's open meeting law, and the City of Sacramento's Sunshine Ordinance have requirements to ensure that all city councils, boards, commissions, and committees are inclusive, transparent, and encourage public participation. Agendas must be posted to clearly communicate what the commission will be discussing and how the public can be part of that conversation. The order and conduct of business of council-established commissions are also governed by the City of Sacramento Council Rules of Procedure. It is critical that appointees only discuss items under their purview at an open and public meeting and avoid discussions outside the public forum. A meeting could be any gathering of a majority of appointees to discuss items under their jurisdiction, and discussions in non-public formats such as email, phone, or text message must be avoided. To ensure transparency and a high level of service, appointees have educational requirements such as ethics and sexual harassment training. Appointees may also have reporting requirements such as filing of a statement of economic interests FPPC Form 700 upon appointment, annually, and when leaving. We appreciate your interest in the City of Sacramento Board, Commission, and Committee Program, an opportunity for citizens to ensure transparent, open, and inclusive participation in the City's decision-making process. Please visit our website for appointee resources and information on applying to serve. commissions.cityofsacramento.org Clerk at cityofsacramento.org, 916-808-7200. Well, thank you, Chair and Commissioners, for allowing me to present this evening. I'm available if you have any questions. Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to make a comment on this item? Thank you, Chair. I have no hands raised for this item. Thank you. Um, Commissioner Kennedy. Thank you. And thank you for the uh, excellent presentation. My question is uh, around the length of terms. Previously, Members of the SACDAC were given two, a total of two three-year terms. And my understanding now is that commissioners uh, just across the board, the city of SAC will all have a two four-year terms. So where does where does that put us who are already serving on, on our commission? Does that mean in a sense the, the clock resets in January once this all goes in place and we all have now an additional perhaps four or even eight years? Uh, where exactly do, do we stand? Thank you. So your terms will be extended. So if you're currently serving a three-year term, that will be extended to a four-year term. And uh, in the event uh, we're ending our second, third-year term, 
how does that work? Does that mean that we get to, uh, again, try to go for an additional four years? Or I'm trying to wrap my head around, like, like for instance, personally, I, I thought that I sadly was going to end my, my last chance, my last year of being on the commission sometime next June. Does that mean now I have uh, perhaps two more years? Then after that, I can reapply because I could have another four years? That's a great question. So it's my understanding that the current term will be extended to four years, but we won't revert the next, the last term to a, a longer term. So your current term will, will be extended one year. All right, then I won't be uh, allowed to continue on with the commission? If you've, or... served two, if you've served two terms, that's correct. Okay, what if I've served, uh, I've served one, three, I'm sorry for all the, the math, I really do appreciate all the help. So I've served one uh, three-year term, I'm about to end my second three-year term. So does that mean I only have one extended term, but also to make up for the other term they only had three years of, I have two more? How exactly does that That's work? That's incorrect. So we don't go backwards. Yeah. So the current term yeah. you're in will be extended to four years, but we the, term, the previous term will not change. It was a three-year term and it is expired. I see. Okay, so I get uh, one more year. Okay. And also in regards to um, the holding of, uh, of commission positions of like the chairperson and and vice chair uh is does that like kind of reset the clock as well like for instance if i were if i've served as chair twice could i once again serve as chair now or is everything reset could we have chair boy continue on for another term if it would that be allowed no so if they've served so if you've already if you've served one term in one of those seats you would have an additional year but it's two terms maximum Okay, even though we've done it in the past, Correct. You know, that's that's what counts. Okay, thank you so much for all your help. Really appreciate it. Of course. Any other commissioners have questions? I I do. This is Commissioner Santana, and I I apologize for the noise. Uh, perhaps I can, you know, if you can't make out my question, I'll I'll email the city clerk. But, Go ahead. Uh, I, I'm in the position that I had a, only a two-year term, and I didn't renew. So you know, I mean, I didn't reapply, and I'm standing on until such time as the board would find a replacement for me. Um, so, is my two-year term extended now by one year, um, or? Where does that leave me, uh, if I may ask, uh, in my in my specific situation? Thank you. Yeah. So your current term will be extended to a four-year term. Um, if you started midterm, so you had a partial term, um, the the total term length. But I'd be happy to get back to Commissioner Kennedy and Santana um, with details on your terms, and I'll email you guys directly. Thank you. Very well. Thank you, Commissioner Neal. I really did like the presentation. Thank you. Um, did I hear something about commissioner training? Um, and if so, uh, what does that look like? And I want to sign up as soon as possible because I want to be able to participate at the highest level possible. Absolutely. So right now we do, um, I, must, I have emailed out the commissioner handbook. Um, that's on our website. If you have not received that, I'd be happy to follow up um, with another email. We do have a commissioner handbook. We have a facilitation guide um, for chair, vice chair. 
um, which I think is good for all commissioners to read. Um, we are doing orientation now. So when a commissioner joins us, um, I reach out and we do a, a, just a one-on-one -on -one via Zoom, an orientation at a high level. Um, if you'd like to go through that, I'd be happy to do that with you. Um, even past commissioners may benefit from that. Um, and then we're looking at doing the next training, a Brown Act training that I'll be presenting um, before your commission. Okay, thank you. I do, I do have the handbook. I'll go back to it. Wonderful. Thank you. Feel Commissioner Neal is one of our newest commissioners, and so um, it sounds like perhaps she didn't have the opportunity to have that one-on-one. -on -one. So, um, Commissioner Neal, if you'd like Ms. Cuppy to connect with you on on that, I'm sure she would be happy to do so. We, we did. I don't think we did it over Zoom, but she was really helpful. And when she said commissioner training, I was just thinking, like, okay, do I, you know, maybe something different. But she was re really helpful when we did have that orientation. Thank you. Thank you. And I do anticipate over the coming years to continue to build our toolbox so that we'll have more of those trainings online. So as new commissioners come on board, um, if it's you know mid-cycle, they'll be able to go back and, w and watch that Brown Act training and so forth. But Brown Act is next up, next up on the list. Any other commissioners with questions? So I know... Uh, Commissioner Kennedy chairs an ad hoc committee around um, an awards um, that we are present, we've been presenting to community members and um, the um, clerk did a, a meeting with myself and uh, Vice Chair McMillan and we talked about um, possibly the need for longer meetings or additional meetings mm -hmm. when um, the ad hocs go away at the end of this calendar year. Can you can you kind of follow up with us on that and what that might look like if we need to meet more frequently in order to do our business? There's business to do and you do need to meet more frequently. We would um, probably reach out to me um, and your department staff and we can see where that would fit into the calendar. And Commissioner Kennedy, I wanted to make sure that you, if you had any questions about your ad hoc specifically, that you take this opportunity to ask um, Madam Clerk while she's here. Do you have thank any additional so, questions? Uh, yes, thank you so much, Chair Boyd. Really, you're reading my mind here. I really appreciate it. So over the last year, uh, our, I've had the honor of leading an ad hoc committee to put together the Tim Haley Award that recognizes uh, Sacramento residents who go above and beyond to help to support the disabled community. Just over this last few weeks, you know, not during our regular, our regular commission meetings, I was able to reach out to my fellow members of the ad hoc committee to not only uh, streamline, streamline what we were going to update the commission with tonight in regards to the meeting, but also, you know, work on various issues, questions we have, submit those to our, our great coordinator, Josh Warner, and make sure everything, everything was in place. So when it was time during the meeting, everyone on our commission would be uh, would be great updated uh, sufficiently with information what, what was happening. In the event we didn't have an ad hoc committee, I'm not sure how we would have been able to do that work, that important work uh, behind the scenes. And so I do understand there's a new subcommittee, subcommittee option. My hope is that this subcommittee option will be one that could still allow us the flexibility, if you will, to be able to take care of important matters, uh, important matters that are happening outside 
of our meetings. And I respect the Brown Act, and by no means are we trying to create a pseudo-commission or create anything, any sort of alternative. But at the same time, though, just some of that, that great work that can be done via a Zoom meeting or via emails, you know, just making sure all the background works in place. So when we actually have our meetings, we're not spending additional time trying to work out all the specifics. Rather, we have an update for our, our commission to move forward. These ad hoc committees have been have been very helpful. I hope that in some way or shape or form these new subcommittees operate in the same in the same manner. Thank you. So thank you. That's a great question. Um, when ad hoc committees go away, that's one reason we're bringing Brown Act training back to you so that we can talk about ways you can communicate with your fellow commissioners outside of the public forum. So if you were approved a subcommittee, a permanent subcommittee, those would be Brown Act bodies. So they would be noticed meeting, members of the public be allowed to participate. Um, you'd be video streamed and so forth. So to clarify, those meetings would still have to be scheduled through your office with your staff to ensure that they are um, noticed correctly and made available to the public, correct? That's correct. Thank you. Commissioner Neal? I, um, I did go back and look at the previous meetings where um, awards were given out for the ad hoc. I, I don't know. Is ad hoc an acronym or like what, what does it mean? What is it exactly? So ad hoc can, uh, means a smaller group, so less than a quorum of your co uh, commission, um, and they do meet for a limited term and a specific purpose. Thank you. Any other questions from commissioners on this item? Um, seeing no hands raised, this was a receive and file item on our agenda, so no vote is required and we will move on to the next item on our agenda. Thank you again, Ms. Cuppy, for joining us this evening. Thank you, Commissioners. Um, item number four is the Pocket Greenhaven Neighborhood Transportation Plan update. Is there a staff presentation? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me okay? Loud and clear. Awesome, thanks. One moment while I share my screen. All right. And we'll get started here. All right, thanks for having me tonight. My name is Leslie Mancibo. I'm a senior transportation planner in the Department of Public Works. I, I haven't met many of you, so I'm excited to meet you virtually tonight and talk about the Pocket Greenhaven Neighborhood Transportation Plan. Plan way back worlds ago <laughs> in um, early 2020. We actually kicked it off in late February 2020. So um, we did not know the challenges that would be ahead of us. So typically a plan like this would not take this long to deliver, but um, we had to relearn how to do all of our engagement virtually, um, how to take traffic counts in a pandemic environment. So um, this was sort of our our pandemic baby, if you will. And um, I'm happy that we are almost across the finish line. Um, we kicked off, um, once we figured out how to do virtual uh, workshops, we kicked off with three um, community workshops, as well as many focused conversations with um, school representatives and regional transit and um, um, some of the senior centers in the neighborhood because there are many. And um, and we used all that information and an online survey to identify the community vision that would really be the basis of this plan. So really what we heard from people is that they'd like to see slower 
slower vehicle movement throughout the neighborhood. A lot of concerns about high vehicle speeds. Um, we'd like to improve safety and comfort for people biking and walking. Many families reported that they would like to access the beautiful parks and parkways and schools in the neighborhood, but that they don't feel comfortable crossing some of the bigger streets. Sorry, one moment. I have a puppy right now, so I apologize for the background noise. Um, uh, they also uh, requested along these same lines, more frequent and more comfortable crosswalks. Um, many of the roads in the pocket, several of them, I should say, are, are very wide. Um, they, they were built um, very wide, so that's a, a challenge for pedestrians to get across comfortably and safely. And then also we heard that um, the neighbors would like uh, convenient and comfortable access to transit. And so um, after that initial phase of engagement and vision setting, the project team put our heads together and created this toolbox, really. Um, so I like this um, this exhibit here, this table, because I think it does a good job of showing that each tool really directly links to one of the um, elements of the community vision, one of our project goals. So um, this, I, don't, I won't go through every single one of these tools. This is in the report that's posted online at planpocketgreenhaven.org. Um, but essentially what we focused this um, toolbox on is bringing it back to the community and talking about um, what residents thought would work, what they thought wouldn't work, if there were specific locations where they would like to see certain countermeasures or tools. And uh, we had some really good, vibrant discussion during this next phase, this during this phase of engagement where we presented the tools. We really tried to focus the discussion on speed reduction, you know, uh, pedestrian comfort, comfort for people biking, always safety, and um, crosswalks and transit. And and the result was surprising to me. The community really came out um, and was very interested in this project. And one of the tools that was in the initial toolbox that ended up being removed based on community feedback was um, lane reductions, or also known as road diets often. And that is when we take um, a four-lane roadway, like Pocket Road, um, a four-lane roadway like that that's built that large is really to accommodate like 20, 30, 40,000 cars a day. And what we found in our traffic counts, even looking pre-pandemic, was that um, some segments were only carrying 7,000 cars a day. So significantly fewer cars um, using these roads than, um, than they were built for. And the result of that is that people feel more comfortable speeding. And like I mentioned, it's a much longer distance for people to cross the street when they're trying to get across. Unfortunately, the neighborhood um, did not embrace that concept. <clears throat> and I feel that even though that is a um, proven safety measure, I also value community engagement. And if we're going to do real community engagement, um, we have to actually listen, right? And not just um, not just push out uh, our ideas. So we did remove the lane reductions from the toolkit, which also significantly changed our um, the other treatments that could be used on those four lane roadways based on our best practices and design standards. So now I'll get into what some, how and where some of these things were applied on a citywide basis. So um, these are just, um, Again, this is a planning level document, so we didn't get into a lot of detailed design. These are really high level plans that then um, 
that we still put um, prices and costs associated with each of these items, but um, we have to go look for funding really to move these things forward and to get into a more detailed design and then to build them. So, um, so these are just lines on a map for now, but they will be developed into more detailed plans. And I have some examples of those in the next subsequent slides. So here you'll see our, um, the proposed new signals, stops and roundabouts on the green and orange exhibit here. Um, it, uh, the green ones are existing and the orange are new proposed signals. So um, I would like to point out there is this segment of sort of Riverside and Pocket there. I'm so sorry. One moment. I'm so sorry. Okay. Um, so uh, the orange are all new. And if you see that long stretch where there's a lot of orange, the um, the little icon with the three dots, that is a full traffic signal. Um, the little icon with the person walking, that's a pedestrian signal. Because these roadways are so big and we do see some high speeds here, instead of just slapping a crosswalk down on the road, we actually um, are proposing, and based on our cross pedestrian crossing guidelines, we are proposing that those be um, um, pedestrian signals where somebody pushes a button and actually gets the vehicles get red lights and the pedestrians get a um, walk symbol to cross. Um, the reason that we place these like this on um, Riverside and Pocket are to really get a sort of even spacing. And that's because right now, if you look, there's no green there. There's not a lot of places to cross the street where the cars are actually being held with a light. And it's very intimidating to get across. It's a, a long distance and um, we observe a lot of vehicles, high vehicle speeds. Um, in addition to providing those sort of regular and predictable crossings, what we can do with these signals is coordinate them into what we call a slow green wave so that if somebody is going the preferred speed, the posted speed limit, they will get consistently green lights. But if they are speeding, they will be stopped at red lights. Uh, and so it is a tool that we have to slow down speeds with the four lane roadway alignment because a lot of things like speed bumps aren't, we, we are not allowed based on our, um, our design standards, we, we can't put a four um, speed bumps or something like that on a four lane roadway. Um, if you can imagine somebody hitting a speed bump at like those speeds, it's, it's not good for anyone. It's not really accomplishing our safety goals. Um, here in the second exhibit, uh, something that came up, it, it's kind of unique to this plan is the idea of using speed feedback signs, sort of regularly increment, incrementally placed in the neighborhood. Um, we sometimes see that speed feedback signs have, we've seen that they have mixed effectiveness, but we thought the pocket was a really good um, place to use these in that we hear from residents that they think people, especially sort of on that outer loop, that Riverside pocket loop, that the people speeding uh, don't live within the neighborhood and that these speed feedback signs could really be helpful as an informational tool, um, especially because, like I said, the roads look like they were built to be driven on fast. They're really wide, and there aren't very many obstructions or stops. And so um, we thought that with those conditions, that this would be a good tool still. Um, here you will see where we have some speed lumps. Um, those are like the little, the little green dots. We, um, those you'll see only on the residential streets. 
because that's where we're allowed to put speed bumps. But what we really wanted to use these for was around schools um, that don't already have speed bumps nearby and um, locations where we heard from the neighbors that there was um, concerns about cut through traffic. Um, so people trying to avoid sort of the bigger roads and speeding on the smaller residential streets. And so that's why you see some um, speed lumps sprinkled through. These next two exhibits show um, crosswalks over on the, I don't know how it's oriented actually on your screen. The crosswalks is sort of the, the one with the colorful dots. And um, there's, a lot to, there's a lot to absorb here. And the whole plan is online, but I'll just sort of explain what our, our rationale was here. We based these locations on um, community feedback, crash data, and um, destinations, right? So you'll see them around. Um, uh, see a lot like clumps around schools and also um, locations where we heard that people there there are destinations that people want to go um, here in like the, the the key I don't know if it's too small for you to read but we also talk about pedestrian hybrid beacon beacons and those are the pet the pedestrian those are the signals that actually like turn red when you act, actuate it as a pedestrian and then the RRFBs, so that's like the little, it looks like a little arrow pointing up. That's the type of signal or the type of crossing where as a pedestrian, you press the button and it just has the like flashing yellow lights. Um, we chose these based on our pedestrian crossing guidelines. So we look at like the speed and number of lanes of the roadway to determine which of those to use. And then the purple dots, I think are really important because those are improvements to existing crossings. Because something else we heard a lot about is that um, even where there's a crosswalk, sometimes people don't feel comfortable crossing there now. And so um, other walking improvements you'll see over here, there's a few sidewalk gaps throughout the neighborhood that we saw, but also when we were walking around, um, oh my gosh, why am I blanking on the name of that parkway? I'm sure Will could help me out. Um, that, that sort of the, the like long green belty kind of park. Um, we saw that there was a lot of missing curb ramps to access the park. We did not go through and do an entire inventory of every curb ramp in the neighborhood. Uh, anywhere where we are doing a more detailed plan, we, we accounted for that. But here we, uh, we were concerned that be, the park being a major destination, we're talking about access improvements to um, address those curb ramps. Um, biking improvements. There's a great network of trails out in this neighborhood, um, but there were some gaps in the bike network and absolutely some areas to improve um, the, the separation between those big, wide, fast-moving roadways that I was describing before and people riding bikes. Right now, it's often just a thin yellow or thin white line, and that's all. And so where we could where we could narrow some lanes to fit in an additional buffer, I think that's a feature that will really be helpful to improve bike access, bike circulation, I guess, throughout the neighborhood. And um, we also had in mind throughout the project that there is um, the Sacramento River Parkway project, the trail that's going to be on the on the edge of the river in this area, um, and and the need to access that trail and to get from the neighborhood to the trail um, or even to make the neighborhood a destination, right. For people that are riding down from the central city that um, then need to get into, I don't know, um, local restaurants. Um, let's see here. Transit stop improvements. Um, uh, the, 
we went through with RT and the community and looked at all the transit stops and we've recommended some things like, um, well, one thing that we really focused on was co-locating transit stops and crossings, pedestrian crossings. Um, we have a couple new bus stops that we're recommending, but then we also um, have proposed adding some shelters and other amenities to transit stops. Um, so, in addition to those neighborhood-wide plans that I just went over, we honed in, oh, one moment. I should have created them, I'm so sorry. Um, we honed in on these 10 focus areas. Um, again, we chose these based on um, concerns from the community, crash data, and um, land uses, right? So you'll see a couple of that aren't really corridors, but they're like the area around schools. Um, we uh, we do a lot of work on Vision Zero in my division, and that's uh, the city's goal to eliminate traffic fatalities and serious injuries throughout the city. And a number of these roadways are on what we call the high injury network, and that's where we see the most serious crashes. And those are crashes that affect all road users, so not just bikes and pets, People biking and people walking are the most vulnerable road users, as are children and the elderly. Um, but uh, this is really safety improvements for all, everyone, for people even driving. All right, one second. I'm going to quickly go through these and not get into too much detail, but I wanted to give you a, because it's a lot, that would take quite some time. And um, we wanted to give you an idea of just sort of what some of these areas look like and what the plans look like. So this is an example of a slightly more detailed plan than just the dots on a map that we saw previously. Um, and so this is just a little snippet of this Riverside segment that's highlighted here, um, where we are proposing a pedestrian signal. So one of those mini orange dots on the earlier map, um, this is one of those. And here you'll see that in addition to the pedestrian signal, we're making other pedestrian improvements. So the high visibility crosswalk with the um, bulb outs at the curb and the curb ramps so that we can try to reduce as much as possible that um, travel distance to get across the street and, and time that it takes to get across the street. You'll also see here those um, buffered bikeways that I was mentioning. So even though we have the same number of lanes, we were able to uh, reduce the lane widths because they're really wide. We have a really big roads out there. Um, and we were able to reduce the width to really to put in that buffer between where people are driving, and where people are riding bikes. That also improves the buffer from the sidewalk, right? Because that's it, it's increased distance from the sidewalk as well. And these um, green specs are um, where what we call bike conflict zones. So that's uh, like in front of driveways and stuff, where a uh, to alert someone driving that there may be a person on a bike sharing that space. Um, so I will just quickly just go through sort of the highlights of these um, pocket road segment. Uh, one of the main uh, main features of the segment are these new signals, um, but also the bike conflict markings. Um, the ex extended signal clearance time is uh, an interesting thing to think about, and that's where um, before the light turns green for the opposing um, movement, there is a like lag. And so that um, it's to help with red light running, uh, issues of red light running. Also though, we are 
recommending in all of these areas that anywhere where there is an existing signal without a pedestrian countdown, that one be added because that's really important for pedestrians to know um, how much time they have to cross the street. And a leading pedestrian interval, what that means is um, that uh, the light turns green for the person walking before it turns green for the people in cars. Um, so that's really helpful so that somebody can get out where they're really visible before cars start turning, especially with right turn movements. Um, you'll see a lot of these same things in the next few slides. So I'll go through them pretty quickly. Um, this, this other piece of pocket road. One of the reasons that we broke these down, even though this is pretty continuous, the stretch of Riverside pocket and pocket, we broke them down in these chunks as a tool to help us with identifying funding for the next phases. Because the here, instead of just one giant price tag for the whole project, we can take bites out of it if we need to, depending on what funding is available and where priorities are. Um, so now uh, I like to call this the little loop. Um, but um, again, similar things that you'll see here. Uh, I don't think there's much new, many new features that we haven't discussed. Um, again, a lot of similar features. Oh, um, wait, let me see if I, oh, I failed to put something really important on here on Rush River Drive is the um, roundabouts. We're proposing, this is one of the locations where we're proposing a series of roundabouts. One of the reasons for that is there's a lot of like, Dense, uh, some population density here because of the senior living facilities that are along Rush River. And um, we heard from the folks, especially who work at the senior facilities, that they're really concerned about the high speeds on Rush River for their residents. A lot of them are still able to walk right down the street to the grocery store, but are intimidated to do so because of the speeds. So uh, we thought this was a good opportunity for a series of roundabouts because that sort of reiterates the um, slowing effect of those, the traffic calming effect. Um, let's see here, Lauren. Um, this is one of the locations where we're looking at a set of speed feedback signs um, to sort of notify people when they're like coming into this area of their speed and the posted speed. Um, let's see here. I don't think there's much other new stuff here. Um, Greenhaven, we'll just click around. This is one location where we see um, we're proposing some new stop signs. Um, we've heard, and I'll get into that in a little bit, that we heard that people don't always love traffic signals, but seem to be more, um, more open to having a new stop sign in their neighborhood. But we can't use stop signs everywhere. They're not good for four-lane roadways. They're better for just one lane in each direction because of the confusion that could be caused when called a multiple threat where there's like so many cars stopped at a stop sign and so um this was one location though where instead of that slow green wave of signals we decided to recommend um a series of stop signs that will have um have the effect uh well they'll also improve the crossings in like even spacing and still have that slowing effect um, this is something cool i did want to highlight because we heard from a lot of residents that accessing this um shopping center is difficult by bike because the canal path sort of just drops you out here on this road where there's a median. And so people are like, should we ride up the sidewalk here? Uh, what we heard a lot of people do is just ride up to like about here. And I don't know, can you see my cursor? They ride up about mid block and just hop over, which is very concerning. And so um, what we decided uh, was a option 
a good option is to put a new traffic signal here and um, encourage with signage and education, encourage people on bikes to use this residential street that's already a bike um, route um, to access, to get to this stoplight and get across. Because even now, if they did this, uh, knew about it as an option, they are still stuck crossing many lanes um, at, right in front of the shopping center. Um, here's just an a, a, a example of some of the recommendations around the schools. So we chose um, Genevieve Didion and um, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, we looked at all the schools and we met with as many school reps as we could, but many schools in this neighborhood have had recent improvements so, and are also adjacent to some of these other 10 areas. And so we just honed in on these two. Um, but we're recommending things. So this is actually, this is just pulled directly from the plan. So the plan does show, um, it shows the elements and then calls out exactly what's happening there. And then these safety improvements are all listed in that table. So you can see exactly what, um, what needs they're meeting. Uh, but again, you see um, this, uh, let's, oh, is this, oh, this isn't the one. Okay, this is not one with a new crossing. I think that's on the next page. Um, but things also like this hardened center line here, uh, that's really just to prevent bad behavior. People just making U-turns mid-block because, you know, I think how pickup and drop-off times can get sometimes. And I don't think there's anything else new here. A lot of curb extensions, though. Um, the, you know, kiddos um, you know, can that that crossing distance becomes even farther with you know tiny legs and oh here's what i wanted to highlight is this um this raised crosswalk i think it's a very cool feature that has a calming traffic calming effect it really also um reiterates to people driving that this is a place to expect pedestrians so um we don't have a lot of raised crosswalks here in town so i thought that was a cool feature to include here at um this is at mlk junior so I feel like I've talked a lot and I already see some hands coming up. We took this public draft. So everything that I've shown you today is pulled directly from the public draft plan. Again, that's posted online in, in its entirety. It's a big one. Um, but if you want to dive deeper into that, you're welcome to. Um, we took that to the, to the public for comments in late May through June. Um, we did a virtual meeting. We did an in-person open house, which we were really excited to do to like book in this project that started at the very start of the pandemic that we were able to, by June of this year, um, have a open house at the Elks Lodge in the neighborhood. We got a really good turnout. We had a lot of really good conversations with the community. Um, we got 106, 146 comments through our online engagement um, portal. And um, most of the comments that we received, about two-thirds, were related to the new traffic signals. I alluded to that earlier in the presentation, but um, uh, uh, that was a hot topic, and um, we got uh, both sides, right? We, we heard from some people that they love them and some that they hate them. We know that they'll have significant safety benefits, but they are an expensive tool, and so we do have to weigh those options in, in, when we think about how we're going to implement this plan. So right now, what we're doing is talking through each of those traffic signals and, you know, the, sort of giving them giving them the sniff test, right, to, to make sure that this is something we think will 
achieve our goals and we'll, we'll be able to implement in the future based on that community feedback that we got in the last round of engagement. So I'd say we have just a few more weeks before we have a final plan that then we will be taking to city council at an undetermined date right now. Um, thank you. I'll leave my presentation up in case I have to reference any of the slides for you all, but I think I'm ready for questions. Uh, before we go to commissioner questions, clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to um, speak on this item? Thank you, Chair. I have no speakers with their hands raised for this item. Thank you. Commissioner Santana. Um, thank you, Chairwoman. Um, I wanted to ask about the, um, I think it was like three slides back regarding the uh, Genevieve. I think it's, is, uh, yeah, Didion, uh, the, the detour with the bikes so that you could go back to the uh, BC intersection. Um, here. I think it was this one. Yeah, and maybe the one after that as well. Um, okay. Have you had, what kind of experience have you had and data to suggest that bicyclists are hitting the uh, sort of like the nudge to go in a different direction and go the long way around instead of a uh, straight. So um, I hope I'm able to answer this question completely. We did not have the opportunity to put in, so we know that the, the desired path is right here, right? To just go straight across the street. Right. There's, there's a, an established median with trees here, and that would, um, we did not want to remove that, and there were community concerns about removing that, and right. it's very expensive. We don't want to get rid of any trees. So um, then once we start getting closer to this intersection, putting a crossing in here seemed like we were missing an opportunity to put the crossing at the intersection itself. Mm -hmm. So we um, just using um, best practices in engineering and design, our engineering judgment and community feedback, we landed at this as a better option than putting a crossing somewhere between the median and this location. Because uh -huh. we thought that's gonna be so close to the driveway, but not at the driveway. We're going to be solving one issue of just pedestrians and bikes crossing, but not serving as many people as possible. So putting it at the driveway was um, the option we chose. Uh huh. How how long is that trek from? Uh, and I can't oh. with my finger going back to the, the dotted line. Yeah, yeah. How long is all of that? I, I, I do, I could not give you a specific distance without measuring it like in Google Earth. It is not far. Uh, I walked it in, you know, a handful of minutes. So um, it, it's closer than what it appears on this map, I think. Uh, okay. That, <laughs> that was my concern when yeah. I looked at it, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, whoa, you know, it's going to be very difficult to, you yeah. know, convince <laughs> cyclists to. Yeah. And again, I know Commissioner Kennedy lives in the neighborhood, so he may have a better idea of the actual distance. But um, when we were out doing a site visit, I walked it very easily. And so um, I imagine on a bike, it would just be a matter of minutes. Um, my last question would be, 
I don't know if I can articulate it. Because, you know, there's all kinds of um, disabilities, right? So I'm thinking of a person who can ride a bike, yet have some sort of disability that would make it... Um, have you taken that into account? You know, as far as the sound, uh, um, not barriers, but sound friendly, uh, calming traffic sit uh, situations at the very top. Mm -hmm. You know, and in the actual crossing that you're proposing, you know, what what traffic calming features do you have, and it, are a lot of them auditory or not? So um, some of the features of traffic signals are auditory. So when I'm th when I highlighted the um, the pedestrian countdown, um, those will have the um, auditory um, signal technology. I don't know what its technical term is, but you know when it makes noise indicating that I guess the cross crossing indicator sound. Um, uh, that's a a feature. Um, traffic calming in general. Um, is good for everyone disabilities or not because it's if if it sounds bleak but if you're hit with a vehicle going slow um you have a much better chance of survival correct yeah. um and so the traffic calming i'm trying to think of like what about this project is like auditory specifically to answer your specific question but i think i would have to say like the signals are the biggest factor um on the opposite side of things, we did hear from a lot of community members that there's like noise pollution that's caused by people speeding and slamming mm -hmm. on brakes and stuff. And uh, the traffic calming will certainly help that uh, make it like a calmer, quieter environment because, um, you know, everyone sort of has their space on the roadway and um, vehicles are traveling slower. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, I yield to uh, Commissioner Will Kennedy if he has any any uh, any further questions or comments. And I'm going to weigh in real fast right now and thank Will publicly for all of his help with this project because he's really helped me connect to the community in a way that I would not have been able to do without your help. So thank you. Well, th thank you, Leslie. You know, you've done an amazing job over a few years now, even through the midst of COVID. You know, still trying to do the outreach, still trying to make all this happen. And thank you for all your support. You know, it, it really is amazing how far we've come, how far we've come with this plan. You know, how many neighbors, Hawking Greenhaven neighbors, have gone out of their way to have their voice be heard. You know, I really do feel this plan really is the end result of, you know, so many people, so many community members, not only sharing their opinions, but also, you know, your expertise, your understanding of our neighborhood, really down to not only the street level, but also when it comes to things like you're mentioning, the pocket canal parkway, you know, the intricacies of of what helps us pocket green neighbor neighbors get around. We appreciate it so much. And thank you for taking time out of your busy day to update our commission tonight about all this great work you're doing around our pocket transportation plan. And all even personally, you know, listening to me as I share my experience or the experience of my brother who has a cerebral palsy and his difficulty uh, getting around and even things like the pocket canal parkway and him getting off and on it just to get over to my home. And thank you so much for 
for listening and for always being there for us. And, you know, you're really going to really improve our commission, our community, excuse me, our community for many years to come. Thank you so much. Thank you. Leslie, I have um, a couple of comments slash questions. During your presentation, you mentioned uh, noticing some missing curb cuts for accessibility. And I know that you also mentioned um, a lack of funding, but I was wondering if um, those curb cuts would be a priority <clears throat> improvement outside of this actual plan because they are lacking at this time. One of the reasons that we noted these on this exhibit here with all the purple lines, because these aren't on one of those 10 focus areas, we thought it was important to call these out specifically because of funding. So I, um, we have not identified specific funding for these yet. That's like the next phase once this plan is adopted. Um, and there may be some funding source out there that we don't typically use for like a corridor improvement plan that would be available for these. So that's why we called them out specifically outside of the um, individual area plans. However, with these focus areas like here, where we're proposing like the bulb outs with the curb cuts and the new crosswalk with a signal, this would really be delivered as one package. So we would have to fund not the whole corridor necessarily, but certainly this location, this crossing would be sort of packaged together and funded. So funding sort of comes in a lot of, in a variety of ways in the world of transportation. Um, so again, we don't have specific sources identified, but something we tried to set ourselves up for success with this plan is to itemize everything with a price tag. And so when there are funding opportunities, we can jump on them and we have the plan ready to show where the, their needs are. Great. Um, a couple other uh, questions. I appreciate that um, Commissioner Kennedy and his family has been uh, participating in this process with you. Um, and I was, and I know you're working on other similar projects and plans in the city, not just in this area. Um, one of the things that I was interested in is how um, are you? Um, and your department engaging with the disabilities community um, when doing this community outreach? Are you specifically reaching out to um, those stakeholder groups? And um, if so, are you getting participation and response from them? And I'm not just talking about this particular yeah, project, but so also the other ones you're working on. Yeah, we have a fairly um, robust channel of communication with the Society for the Blind. Um, we also work a lot with the Regional Transit Transit Riders Union, which has a, a, a sort of, I think, access focus um, that includes a lot of constituents with disabilities. Um, I think those are the biggest groups that we consistently work with, but we would love to know if there are more um, sort of robust channels of communication because engagement is such a big part of what we do. Um, every project is unique and we'll always reach out to the you know neighborhood associations and schools and they often connect us to sort of smaller groups or even just like not even formal groups, but just like um, it, it sort of happens organically that, that we find rep representation through neighborhood associations and others. With this um, plan, I think I mentioned that we worked a lot with the senior living facilities mm -hmm. because we knew that a lot of their residents would be impacted. And there's like kind of a dense little pocket, for lack of a 
pun intended there, um, <laughs> a pocket of um, senior facility. When I looked at the, um, the um, just the, the neighborhood data, um, the demographic data for this project, I was surprised to see that much density in what I kind of pictured in my mind, a very sub suburban environment in pocket Greenhaven, and, and learned that there actually is um, – no, a lot of senior facilities in, in that that was one of the factors in the density and so we worked with them I, i'd love to hear more from this group though about like who i should connect with um whether it's citywide or neighborhood specific thank you well i appreciate um your sharing the efforts that you do make and and that uh distinguishing that in different neighborhoods uh neighborhood groups might be familiar with those pockets of, of, of communities. Um, so commissioners, if you have suggestions uh, for um, Leslie for outreach on these projects, um, you can forward them to Josh and I'm sure you can get them to her. Um, and then one last thing, it's not really a question. It come, it's come up on um, similar presentations around um, improvements to uh, shared spaces, whether it's roadways, uh, bike trails, and that's wayfinding. And um, I know that it's not a part of your presentation, and I know that the city is still working on what that will look like, but um, I think we would like to just weigh in and say it should be a part of any plan like this whether or not a policy has been established. Uh, again, you know, signs cost money and you talked <laughs> about having a price tag. So when those funding sources are identified that you can jump on a project and, and get it going. And um, wayfinding is yeah. gonna be really important, not just for your citizens, but in particular for individuals with disabilities to navigate these spaces. Absolutely, so this report does include um some narrative about the benefits of wayfinding in the neighborhood and um, what those would be. Um, since we don't have a clear funding source for a big wayfinding program, and because to get it right, it would take, I think it has to be its own project, right? So we say that wayfinding would support all of the goals of this plan and support all of these, um, all of these improvements to the built environment that we will be investing in. But we want, we need to know more to get it right, I think, about exactly where those go, where they direct people, how they're used. And I think that's sort of beyond, it's beyond my team's expertise. And so um, we didn't get specific. Something else to mention, though, is I um, served on a panel to hire the consultant team for the Sac River Parkway project and made sure to include that as a note to all of the um, applicants that they should build wayfinding into that project as well. Because like I said, trying to access that trail, I think is gonna be really challenging for, for anyone um, because uh, I get lost every time I'm out here. And, um, and so being on your bike and not knowing where the access points to the trail are, I think that's really important. So yes, we, we do know the importance of wayfinding. We, do um, make note of it in this plan, but we don't get into specifics about sign locations. Right. Well, and now you have um, some feedback from the DAC to include in Great. your staff report to city council when it goes ahead for approval. Um, Great. Do any other commissioners have comments or questions for um, staff on this item? 
not seeing any hands. Leslie, thank you very much again. And this is a uh, receive and file item. Um, and so we uh, do not have to vote. Thanks for having me. I look forward to coming back and presenting to you all in the future. Bye. Thank you. Um, next on our agenda is item number five, the South Sacramento Parkway Trail West Project. Boy, that is a mouthful. Uh, is there a staff presentation? Yes, there is. Let me get my screen share up. Okay. Um, can you guys see my screen? Yes. And hear me? <laughs> yes. Okay, thank you. Uh, thank you guys. Thank you members of the Disability Advisory Committee for this opportunity for me to present the South Sacramento Trail West project. My name is Amber Castle Keen. Um, I am an Associate Civil Engineer with the Public Works Department. Um, and of course, now it's not gonna change pages. Okay, I thought I know how to use Um, oh, there we go. Sorry. Sorry. Um, not, not very good at doing the new, uh, presentations on zoom with uh, PowerPoint. I don't do them very often. Um, so, okay. As I continue on. So again, this is the South Sacramento trail West park project. Um, the project is to pave approximately 0.6 miles of class one multi-use trail. And the scope of this project is limited to creating trail connections. This project has been around for a while. It was started in late 2014 when the city applied for and was awarded a federal grant from the Sacramento Area Council of Government's 2014 Bicycle and Pedestrian Funding Program. We were awarded with little more than $800,000. Um, the project was started and then unfortunately put on hold due to a Caltrans construction project in the, of, on I-5 in the area due to the fact that both projects would be overlapping and have conflicting construction areas but we've picked this project back up and we are moving towards construction. So this project is located um, just south of where Leslie just presented. Um, it's the Southern part of the city. Um, the major cross street closest intersections are Freeport Boulevard and Meadowview Road. Specifically, this project begins in a residential area on Caval the elbow at Cavalier Way. It goes behind the how the residential houses um, behind the sound wall, running parallel to the east side of Interstate Five. It crosses underneath Interstate Five at the Freeport Boulevard Street Route 160 overcrossing. It then runs parallel to Freeport Boulevard, connecting and ending at the existing Freeport Shores Trail. Um, as I stated. Before, this is going to be a class one multi-use trail with approximately six miles, 0.6 miles of trail. It will be a 12-foot wide paved trail with two-foot graded shoulders on each side. The length of the trail uh, will be very flat and accessible to um, users of all abilities. The east entrance is at Cavalier Way, and it will connect, uh, will be a stop control for the trail users located here. Um, as it exits onto either side, it'll ex exit to existing sidewalk to the, uh, to the Northwest or to the 
the east, which is the North Delta Source Trail. People choosing to exit the trail can either travel further down the North Delta Source Trail and exit out further or head to other places or exit down the sidewalk to other existing accessible ramps. The west entrance is located along Freeport Boulevard at the existing signalized crossing to the Sacramento River Trail. It's also where the city has a driveway that is located um, for access for uh, work at the Sacramento Water Tower. And from the south, the new trail connects to the Freeport Shores Trails with an existing grade crossing and detectable warning surface. Um, and the trail, as you can see, comes in underneath the freeway. Um, that pretty much sums up the design features of the trail. Moving on to some of the benefits of the trail, this kind of this trail is help closing trail gaps and provides connectivity. The trail will provide an additional crossing underneath the barrier that is Interstate 5 um, between Meadowview Road and Consumers River Boulevard. Um, it will also connect to the Sacramento River Trail, the Freeport Shores Trail, the North Delta Shores Trail. There are several parks at the Bill Conlon Sports Complex connects directly to the, the trail. Um, the further in the residential area neighborhood is the LeVar Burton Park. Um, also another important city project that's coming to construction soon is the Del Rio project. And that construction will connect um, at the uh, west intersection or the west entrance to the, the South Sacramento Trail. Uh, Del Rio will provide a lot more connectivity for this trail network along with this trail. And with Del Rio, they will have access way all the way into the city. Um, this project is set to go to construction in spring of 2023. Uh, any questions? Before we move to commissioner questions, are there any members of the public who wish to comment on this item? Thank you, Chair. I do not have any speakers with their hands raised for this item. Thank you. Are there any commissioners with uh, questions or comments uh, for this item? I am not seeing any hands. Right. Thank you for um, your presentation. This item is for receive and file, so no vote is required. And we will move on to the next item. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, we are now on um, commissioner comments, ideas, and questions. This is the um, commissioner's opportunity to uh, raise items they'd like to see added to the um, DAC follow-up log, to discuss items on the DAC follow-up log, um, or any other um, topics they would like to share with the public and the rest of the commission. Are there any commissioners who wish to speak? Commissioner Kennedy. Thank you, uh, Chair Boyd. I just uh, I wanted to share an experience uh, I had over the last uh, few weeks in regards to an issue, an accessibility issue right here in my own neighborhood. You know, originally around the pocket transportation plan, you know, I personally had spoken to quite a few neighbors about their concern. And some of the concerns that came up were that of accessibility. And so, 
uh, on that pocket canal parkway that we have, which is used by so many of our neighbors to come and go, and even our elderly or disabled residents, there's quite a few difficulties, if you will, uh, in regards to people or people with disabilities in a wheelchair, what have you, getting off the parkway with, you know, barriers in place. You know, I reached out to Leslie and Leslie in turn connected me with other officials at the city, including our friend Josh Warner, you know, saying, hey, we know what, we'll do a traffic study on that and we'll get back to you. And I just thought that was a really positive experience. I know as part of our role as a commission is to provide feedback to not only the city council, but perhaps also you know, keep our ear to the ground, you know, just in the same way our chair Boyd did some amazing work around COVID in regards to some of those uh, businesses, those restaurants that were a little, a little too far out onto the sidewalk and reported that back and was able to get that taken care of. You know, I just wanted to not only share my experience with, you know, hey, this is something I saw. This is, you know, an issue in our neighborhood. Thank you for the traffic study. We just encourage my fellow commissioners, you know, that if they ever get the opportunity or hear anything from, from uh, fellow community members or anyone in our city, you know, to, to pass that along. And to know that there is a process and there are people listening, that, that a traffic study could happen. And I do think, you know, it's one thing for a citizen to share that, but another as commissioners, as people who have been elected to essentially help f inform our city council and inform our city about issues. I, I think it's an appropriate part of our, our ongoing role to try to keep our city up to date with the issues that are coming up and try to do whatever we can to make sure our city is successful as possible. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Commissioner Kennedy. Any other commissioners? Commissioner, or Vice Chair McMillan. Yeah, um, it may be on the log, uh, but it's probably sometime due soon. I'd like to see an update on the right shareables to see how, see what the statistics have been on that since it's been a year since we talked about the problems they were causing. Have we seen a uh, improvement in that through the three one one stats? I just thought that might be something of interest. We should get an update on to see if that's changed and got better for um, the problems we were encountering. And the other thing that I'd like to get an update on at some point is the uh, internal um, diversity inclusiveness um, presentation we had by, by uh, the city employees. And uh, we asked them to start including people with disabilities in, in that and a new update on that sometime in the next quarter would be good. My third comment is just in general that, um, and I don't know, Brandy, if this on your thoughts or anything like that, but we've had uh, three meetings, I, I think now with Commissioner Neal, but we've never had the chance to say hello and greet her other than hello and greet you. Um, the rest of us have had the opportunity to meet each other in person but we have not met Commissioner Neal, and um, I, for one, know very little about her, and I don't know that she knows anything about us. So should that opportunity come up, I would welcome that. Thank you, Vice Chair McMillan. So I heard uh, two items to follow up on in the follow-up blog, an update from Jennifer Donnell Wyatt on the shared rideables data, which they were gonna be collecting via the 311 app and um, hotline. Um, the um, inclusion of individuals with disabilities as part of the equity and diversity um, effort for uh, staffing the city. 
And then um, I know we did have an item on the agenda for Commissioner Neal for introductions. And unfortunately she missed that meeting. So perhaps that could be added to our agenda next time that we can do some more formal introductions and share about ourselves um, and why we're on the commission and, and formally greet her to our fold. Did I capture that for you? Excellent, thank you so much. Thank you. Commissioner Neal. I really, I really appreciate that. Um, thank you so much. And I'm looking forward. Oh, I turned my lights off. Sorry. <laughs> but I really appreciate that. But I am looking forward to meeting you all. I didn't realize how much of a challenge it is to actually be um, someone with lived experience and still show up. So I'm, I'm eager to do the work and I'm eager to meet you all. And I just can't wait to um, get to know more about everybody. Great, thank you. Um, seeing no other hands, I will um, raise a couple of items for the um, during commissioner comments, ideas, and questions. The city of Sacramento updated its sidewalk ordinance lately, uh, recently, um, and just went into effect September 23rd. Um, and the communication that went out from the city was that it um, is intended to protect people's rights to safely travel along sidewalks and enter and exit buildings. Um, it's specifically trying to address access that is um, encumbered by um, the unhoused population and, and the structures and, and dwellings that they have erected. Um, but what I found um, as a concern was that the um, emphasis was on bicyclists and pedestrians on um, updating this ordinance. And I didn't see any mention of access or individuals with disabilities using mobility aids or being visually impaired. And to me, um, this is a perfect example of something that should have come to us to get our feedback and the fact that um, individuals with disabilities who would be further challenged to navigate um, these walkways and spaces um, just out of the nature of everyday life um, were not part of that conversation as it went to city council. So I, I just wanted to bring that up and um, you know, it's just, um, it's a disappointment. Um, again, another missed opportunity to um, lean on our feedback as the Disabilities Advisory Commission. And, um, you know, if you have relationships with your city council members, I encourage you to share that directly with them because they will not hear this if <laughs> they're not here watching our meeting. Um, the other item on the follow-up blog that I still would like to hear from is the Kings and their transportation management plan. We got feedback from staff last um, meeting that um, the Kings were going to go back to their original plan. Um, however, their website continues to say that the ADA drop-off is at 6th and J, which is completely covered with construction. It's not accessible. Um, you do have to navigate through uh, some tricky areas if you're going to go to the alleyway that they were suggesting. And again, the original location, the use of the original location has changed. Um, and so I don't think that their original transportation management plan is actually um, uh, applicable any longer. Um, and also the wayfinding. We're getting a lot of these public works projects that have to do with trails and roads and um, 
you know, wayfinding really should be a priority for um, the city, um, you know, especially investing in all these great resources for us. Um, but how to, how to get there is really important. And it's not just for um, individuals with disabilities, but um, as Commissioner Fink had mentioned previously, there are some, some specific areas that wayfinding is more uh, meaningful to individuals who have disabilities. And so that should be taken into account. Um, moving on to the Tim Haley Recognition Program Ad Hoc Committee update. We heard a little bit from Commissioner Kennedy earlier uh, during the previous presentation, but I wanted to I'll give you an opportunity to um, have the floor and give us an update. Thanks so much, uh, Chair Boyd. First off, I want to thank my fellow committee members, uh, Commissioner Williams, Commissioner Satana. Thank you so much, not only for our previous meetings, but also over the last year or so, two years, you know, helping put this all together. As I've mentioned, as I mentioned before, yeah, you know, our ad hoc committee was a great way to get a lot of work done, a lot of work, to, you know, iron out all the issues, something that could have taken, I think, quite a few uh, quite a, a bit of time in one of our regular meetings. So thank you so much. And hopefully whatever version of subcommittee that is coming up will be uh, something that will be as useful to our mission going forward. Uh, but in regards to the Tim Haley Award, just a brief background. A few years back, we set about creating, creating an award that would honor Sacramento community members who go above and beyond to support the disabled uh, community. Uh, sadly, sadly, our fellow friend, our fellow commissioner, Tim Haley, passed away, and we decided to name this award in his honor. And we were able to give out these, these first awards. Last year, we gave out seven awards. Each award winner was given an electronic certificate. The criteria for who can receive the award is the following. The person must live in the city. The person has not received the award already, and city employees and contractors are eligible to receive this award if the award committee determines that they have provided service above and beyond their typical duties in support of the disabled committee. Timeline, based on, based on the feedback from our ad hoc committee, the timeline is as follows, very similar to what we did last year. We would ask commissioners to submit their nominees by the November meeting, ask that the nominations be submitted to Josh. In the December meeting, we announced the award winners. In January, we would give out the awards. Now, some of the questions we came up with, and I want to thank uh, Josh, uh, Josh Warner, again, for all his help with this. You know, you've been a big, a big help. Some of the questions we had were the following. These were, this is how Josh helped us out with uh, answering these questions. First question, will the awards be given out in person? Uh, if we were still meeting virtually, then we could not give out the awards in person. We could mail the certificates after the meeting when the awards are given. Do we have money to buy nice frames? If you recall a few years back, uh, we had an understanding that there was some money. And Josh looked into it. And after he looked at it, he said that he found that Human Resources still has a fund up to $150 for the certificates and frames. That sounds very positive going forward. Uh, will another PowerPoint be created for the presentation? Now, Brandy, I believe you created that uh, that PowerPoint, which was phenomenal, really added to the experience. And that's something either uh, yourself, Brandy, or you and I, or collectively as a commission, we could all maybe create a slide 
to respect or to honor our nominee. You know, that's one of those things going forward we'll have to look into. Uh, will the clerk make a script again? That the last time there was a script for the presentations, and the answer was yes. This clerk's office will once again put together a script. And here's another issue: uh, Can a commissioner nominate uh, more than one person if the commissioner does not have a nominee? And yes, you know, last year, if a few of our members didn't put a nominee in, uh, some of us nominated two, and that worked out, I think, I think pretty well. All right, so. That is the update from our ad hoc committee, and it's very similar to what we put together in place last year, but I feel really confident going forward. We've put together a good structure, a good structure, a good foundation for this award being given out in a similar manner from year to year. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Kennedy. Um, yes, and I know that uh, even though we weren't able to present those certificates in person last year, uh, we both signed them and they were mailed um, by staff to the individuals who um, were the awardees. Um, moving on to the public meeting accessibility ad hoc committee update. Um, last meeting we um, asked, uh, Vice Chair McMillan and I asked if there was um, an update or a, a timeline to respond to the ADA complaint that we submitted. And I received, um, um, an email from council, Mr. Hicks, and um, the responses, and I'll just read it, is that um, he does not believe HR has a process for non-employee related complaints. Um, with respect to the city clerk's office, it has updated its accessibility statement on council, standing committee, board and commission and committee agendas, and the city's website. And it does not have an accessibility professional on staff, so has reached out to accessibility consultants to assess current practices and advise what needs to be updated in order to be ADA compliant. They hope to identify and contract with someone in the next month. Um, I appreciate this information um, from Mr. Hicks. I, again, find it really disappointing that um, as the chair of this commission, I had to specifically follow up on this item to find out that these changes and these efforts are being made that that there's no um, communication back to our commission even albeit through staff or in some manner to let us know indeed the print version the print versions not the online versions of the agendas have been updated with um, a true ada accommodation statement which was lacking that was part of our complaint um, seems like it would have been great just to be informed of that change. Um, I will say, however, that the online agendas still lack an ADA um, accommodation statement and themselves are not ADA compliant. So the web versions of agendas and the way you have to get to the print version is not ADA compliant. Um, and that has been noted more than once. Um, also, I have noticed uh, in the last two meetings, and I want to acknowledge it, and again, it would have been great for staff to bring this directly to us because it is an improvement. Um, IT is has made some changes to the way that our meetings um, broadcast via Zoom. In the past, if someone in chambers, such as um, Ms. Cuppy, who gave us a presentation earlier, was speaking to the DAC or any other um, commission, um, 
those words would not be transcribed in the closed captioning on the Zoom. They weren't captured or, or transcribed. And IT has changed, changed that. So now when somebody is in chambers, whether it's a presentation made in chambers or a clerk who's assisting us in our meeting, um, those words are getting captured by the captioning. And um, I, I mean, again, definitely an improvement, but that would have been a great thing to bring to our to our attention as a response to our concerns and um, our uh, communications to staff. Um, are there, do you have anything you wanted to add, Vice Chair McMillan on the ad hoc public meeting accessibility ad hoc committee update? No, I, I, I appreciate the updates um, that we did get and it does look like things that have uh, have been responded to. So I'm just happy to get anything at this point. So that is good. Commissioner Kennedy. Thank you. So I'm looking at the, I guess the window, if you will, of the city hall chamber that's uh, streaming right now. And so the, in the upper left-hand corner, I guess that black uh, background with white text, is that a transcription of our meeting? And that's what uh, I guess everyone in the public who is watching this is seeing, is that correct? Um, on Zoom, it's showing up on the Zoom screen. I don't know what it's showing up on the on the stream. Is it showing up with words on the stream? I'm not sure. I just see there's like, it looks like there's text constantly being updated. And I'm not, maybe I don't have Zoom set up to with the accommodation. But my hope would be that whatever's on that screen, of course, is going out to the public. And, it, you know, congratulations, you know, if you, you were able to get that in place. I think that's really amazing, especially having the black background with the, the white lettering as well. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you do have to turn it on for your individual session. It's CC at the bottom of the screen. So if you just click that, it will start going for you, at, at least on my Zoom session. Thank you. Yes, on Zoom, you do need to turn it on yourself. But um, if you're watching the live stream, it should be being broadcast. And again, capturing everything that's said in, in the Zoom and also in Chambers. Um, okay, so that leaves the public um, comments on matters not on the agenda. We did receive an e-comment that was submitted um, later this afternoon. Uh, um, staff forwarded that to us. I do not believe it pertains to anything that we are discussing on the DAC. Um, so hopefully that will get forwarded to the appropriate staff. Um, Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak at this time? regarding matters not on the agenda. Yes, thank you, Chair. I do have one hand raised from Mark Laver. Excuse me if I'm wrong or please correct me. Laver, Laver. Thank you, thank you so much. I will give you the ability to speak right now. Can you hear me okay? We can. All right, I just wanted to say thank you. Very blessed to know the activities you guys do and the care and the insight to help our community and I recognize a few faces from last January when the you guys gave out those awards and I still feel honored and very much appreciate Randy and everybody here so I wanted to tell you real quick um, our parks we finished up in April the Southside Park and now just on real news we're going to start a new phase to add some more great features 
some braille, some more sensory panels and walls. And there's a couple of business people that are helping now. That's a philanthropy effort. It's going to happen. I'm going to go out again in the community and we're going to do another campaign. So I'll keep you guys informed. And also there's a special needs class in the Thomas area. that's going to paint some permanent signs. I can let you know more about that. There's going to be a neat effort to, in the center of the playground, there are some directional signs. And there's going to be a special class, and gen ed kids are going to unite this month and into October and paint some really neat signs, directional signs. And then the last thing is I was recently hired by UCP to be their community advocate, and it's kind of a dream job for me. And I just wanted to reach out, and there might be some collaboration with your staff and, and you guys, the board members. But I just want to let you know, I can send you my email soon, and uh, maybe we could talk a bit more. But thank you, and um, I appreciate everything you guys do. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Laver, and I, I do want to uh, just remark that we have two open seats on the Disability Advisory Commission. Um, I, I appreciate that you have this new uh, job, but if you have some spare time <laughs> and you'd like to um, submit an application, um, let, let one of us know. I know you know a couple of us, and we will make sure that you have the information so that you can possibly join us on the dais, as it were. Um, I don't see any other hands raised. Um, Mr. Mendoza, did you, did you want to make any comment? And if you do, if you can use the raise hand function, and if not. Okay. Thank you, Chair. Peter, I am giving you the ability to speak right now. Good evening, Madam Chair. Our members of the commission, staff of the public, for the record, my name is Peter Mendoza. I am the community progress specialist for the State Council on Development with Disability Central Regional Office. This was an excellent evening, and I enjoyed uh, listening to the reports. I just wanted to briefly talk about wayfinding. You know, there's a lot of projects happening in the city of Sacramento. And speaking as a person that works in the city of Sacramento, but also Vivids, I live in Elk Grove now. I really feel it's important to make sure we have true access for our entire community, including those with intellectual and developmental disabilities, and wayfinding really start being incorporated in these projects. Additionally, you really don't have true accessibility unless you include wayfinding. There's some excellent wayfinding policies available through the city of San Francisco, uh, city of Oakland, for example, and a lot of material on universal design and uh, wayfinding through the Pacific ADA Center. So I would encourage staff to look at those places to really start putting together policies because if you're navigating like the uh, trails and it's maybe getting to be twilight, it's difficult to see. So signage is really important to our community. community. Thank you, Madam Chair. 
and members of the commission for allowing me to speak tonight. Thank you for your comment. Chair, I have no other hands raised for this item. Thank you. Thank you, commissioners. This concludes today's agenda. Thank you, everyone, for your participation. And the meeting is now adjourned. Bye, everyone. Thank you.